0: Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Um, the last time we were together, we had just started 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we learned that, that there were more problems in the church in Corinth, right? I mean... If chapter five wasn't enough, right? If Homeboy sleeping with his stepmom wasn't enough. Uh, man, now we see in chapter six uh, that people are suing each other in the church. okay? They're suing each other. I remember um, when I was growing up, I was in, I think it was like a American history or one of these terrible middle school, you know, social studies classes, um, hearing a story about a, a man driving through the, the drive-thru at McDonald's and uh, spilling his coffee all over his crotch. Can I say crotch? I don't, his lap, his lap. That's, sorry, his lap. And he sued, he sued McDonald's for like millions of dollars. You know this story? You remember this story? Was a woman, <laughs> bad but not as bad. Way worse if it was a guy. Um, so, man, the, the, people, people, that, like, that's the type of thing, that's the type of thing that um, I think if I spilt my coffee, I'd probably say, man, I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, I think this morning Mitch Dobson burnt his hand on his tea. You know, but these are, these are small things that uh, didn't he, He's, he didn't, he did. He has blisters on his hand because he, he spilled some hot water on his hand. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> but, but the point is, is that man, so much, so much uh, in, the, in church life that's difficult and hard can be resolved by the power of God's spirit and just choosing to be family. Just choosing to prefer one another over ourselves. Just, just choosing that despite hardship, which we're all gonna face, okay, the TV's not working is the smallest thing that we're gonna face, right? We're gonna have moments where we disagree with one another, where we you know, are, are disappointed, upset, offended by one another, and we've gotta choose in the power of God's spirit to deal with that the way that he asked us to, and that's what we covered last week. Now, in today's part of chapter six, We're going to be looking at what it means to choose Christ over sin, all right? And Paul, you know, at the end of our last study together, in verses 9 through 12, Paul is telling us about how the church in Corinth, once upon a time, they used to be wicked sinners, but now that they're believers, they're different. They're different, and they don't need to go to, the Rome, to Roman law, and they don't need to go to their social practices in order to find resolution in their relationships. Look, the lost world is different than the saved world. It's different. You are distinct. God has set you apart. And that tone and that, that, that last bit of that message is going to inform where we're going today, okay? Now, here's our question for today's service. What motivates me to follow Christ over sin? That's the question for today. What motivates me to follow Jesus Christ, which is hard to do, which takes sacrifice? What makes me want to do that over just choosing to do all the things that I used to do, right? Just choosing to live in the old man, choosing to abide in all the sins that I used to abide in. What's, what keeps me distinct and what's motivating me to do that? Because everything comes down to motivation. Why can't I overcome this sin in my life? Why does my life look this way? What, at the root of that is what are you motivated by? And so we're going to talk about that today. The name of today's sermon is We Are Not Our Own, okay? Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, you're good. You're really good. And uh, Lord, I'm thankful for Kenny. I'm thankful for a church that can roll with the punches and so, even though the service down the street is, is without power, um, Lord, I, I'm grateful. Uh, I'm grateful because uh, you have uh, um, established a local church with a pioneer mindset um, that's unafraid. And we know, we already know that our objective is not to be the most polished service, Sunday service in town. Uh, our job is to seek and save the lost and to plant churches all over the world. And uh, that has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not the microphones work. And so, God, we are we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that mindset, that perspective. We pray that it always be with us. Uh, the last thing that we ever want to become is a machine, a, a church Christian machine um, that praises our own policies and procedures. God, um, we're following you. And so, Lord, please... Teach us daily how to do that, and Lord, use this sermon today to provoke us in that direction. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. Okay, let's start by reading, as we usually do, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not? That he which is joined to an harlot is one body. For the two saith, uh, for for two saith he shall be one flesh. And he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we're going to begin answering today's question first by framing the background of what's going on here, okay? Can we do that? And as we said in verse 9, Paul goes on this tangent of what their lives used to look like as Corinthians living in a corrupt society, lost and separated by sin, the things that they used to do. Okay, the identifiers, the character qualities, the sinful character qualities by which they used to live. And so he lists these things out. Now, we're not going to go through them and study them all out, which we could do, but we're going to briefly look at these different things. And I want you to remember that these are all things, uh, these are all types of sin that were ingrained into the Corinthian culture. These were things that were acceptable, culturally, sins that were common in Corinthian society. The first one is fornicators. Okay? So there's a list here. You can do as Eric usually does, you can photograph that. Or you can Look, he's got the Look, show everybody. He's found the PDF online. kaya.live. Okay, fornicators. Fornicators. What are fornicators? We've talked about this already. People who have sexual encounters outside of marriage. I'm going to go through these pretty fast. Idolaters, what are idolaters? People who worship anything other than the God of the Bible. Adulterers, people who have sex outside of marriage, violating the marriage trust relationship. Effeminate, people, specifically males, who deny masculine constructs and take on stereotypical female qualities. Uh Uh-oh, 2022, here I come, I'm coming at you. (laughs) abusers of themselves with mankind. This is a person who has homosexual encounters. Thieves, people who take things that don't belong to them. Covetous, people who are greedy for things that don't belong to them. Drunkards, people who drink alcohol and become unsober. Revilers, people who instigate division. Extortioners, people who are eager to take advantage of other people. This is the list that he mentions. Now there's lists like this in Ephesians and all other places in scripture Okay, but these are things that are specifically common in Corinth where these Christians have come from. These are all things that were once upon a time lawful to them. Once upon a time, in the background that they came from, these things would have been acceptable. No one would have batted an eye. It would have just been considered normal life. And he tells them, this is the very culture of sin that you were saved out of. Verse 11, and such were some of you, but but ye are washed. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, has cleansed away your sins. He's washed them away. None of these things are true of you. You stand spotless before God the Father. When he looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. You are as spotless as Christ. But you are washed, ye are sanctified. It means that, in other words, God has made you to be holy, that you might become holy. He's made you holy, he's made you righteous, but ye are justified, meaning that from a judicial standpoint, when God looks upon you, he sees you free, he sees you as set free out of the bondage of your sin. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul's declaring their standing before God. And he's pointing out that they've been sanctified and justified and they've been set free. And this reminds me a little bit of Romans chapter 6, verse 22, that says, but now I'm being made free from sin and become servants to God. And that, the idea of becoming servants to God is relevant to the, today's sermon. So keep that thought or that phrase in your mind. You've been made set free from sin and become servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. We know that, right? That your sin only can produce death. Your sin, the sin in your life, is supposed to damn you to hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so here's the issue at hand today in today's sermon. That despite the fact that they've been saved from this kind of sin, they've been saved out of this kind of sin, all of these temptations still surround them every single day. They've got to wake up early, they've got to go out into the marketplace, they've got to go work and, and make a living in Corinthian society. They come in contact with all the things that they they used to in their sinful life, in their carnal man, all the things they used to encounter on the street, they encounter those things now. Nothing has changed in that respect. And the temptation for them to go back to their old sin is high, and it's highly probable. They're struggling. They keep finding themselves indulging sin. And what are they going to do? With this tug of war in their heart, this tug of war in their mind, what are they going to do? What do they do to deal with that? Are they just going to secretly indulge in these sins when no one's looking? I mean, are they going to just blend in, duck in, and duck out of a world that they know has already rejected them and that they've rejected? How do you walk that tightrope? I mean, Christians are doing it every day. And there's some of us in this room that are doing it by practice, calling ourselves Christians, knowing that we're saved from our sin, and yet finding ways in the secret of our lives to indulge sin and do as we please. How do we do that? How do we get away with that? Here's our first key point. Every Christian has the option of going back to sin. And it is an option. It's on the table every day. Every Christian has the option of looking like that lost person that they used to be. It's an option to you. And you're enticed by it all the time, by your friends, by the people you used to run with, right? By the things that you see online, things that you encounter in your workplace, dialogues and relationships that get established. You get tempted too. And it's tough. It's tough. And and the, the, the option of going back to sin is always there on the table. Now Paul says, and the way he says it, it might surprise you, He has something to say on this subject matter and and it's very, very relevant. I can't wait to get to it, okay? But it's gonna initially sound shocking to you. All right, you prepared for that? So listen to what he says, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So he says it twice. All things are lawful to me. In other words, Since God has set me free from sin and I am justified and I am sanctified, then I can do all things without undoing my salvation. I can can indulge in any practices that I want. I can go fornicate. I can go I can go drink what I want to drink, smoke what I want to smoke. I can go rub elbows with anybody that I want to rub elbows with. I can indulge sin, and guess what? God is not going to take back his gift of salvation from me. Pretty amazing. Let me say it another way. If a Corinthian believer chose to live like a lost person and sin in the ways that we listed previously, it was lawful. It was lawful for them in Corinthian society to do those things. So as it concerns Corinth, All things were lawful for them, right? They could go out, as it concerns Roman society and Roman law, they could be fornicators, they could be adulterers, they could be covetous, they could be drunkards, they could be all those things, and society would not condemn them. It was lawful for them. They could do it by law. But what about the laws of God? All things are lawful unto me, Okay, well, in other words, if they chose to break the laws of Scripture, and if they chose to sin, it was actually lawful to them. It would not be held against them. It would not be held to their account. Their eternity was secure. They had gotten their ticket to heaven punched. Salvation belonged to them. They were children of God, and there was no undoing that. And so it was lawful for them. They could get away from it, there is, uh, get away with it. There's nothing, there's nothing that Shepard or Eloise or Clementine, my kids, could do to make them not my kids anymore. There's no sin so egregious. There's nothing that they could do that would be so terrible where they could ever undo what, what we have in our genetic code. They are my children no matter what. And so if they're saved, Then the truth was, they were free from the consequence of all sin, past, present, and future. They were free from it, and everything was lawful for them. So you might have a lot um, running through your mind right now, right? You might be saying to yourself, wait a second, okay, I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven, and I've been feeling real bad about smoking weed, okay? But you're saying to me that I can do that stuff and God won't hold it against me? I mean, after all, smoking weed is lawful in Colorado. So if it's lawful there, you know, Colorado, Corinth, (laughs) CO, all things are lawful, right? Right? Right, right? Is that what you're saying, Brandon? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? Are you giving me a pass? I'm not giving you anything. I'm not giving you anything. I'm just telling you, yeah, sure, you can get drunk and you can smoke weed and you can have sex with your girlfriend. And no, if you are saved, if you truly know Jesus Christ as your savior, God will not hold that against you in heaven. That's what I'm saying to you. But let me ask you a couple of really important questions. Can I? Here's the questions. The first one is this What are your motivations? What are your motivations? Key point. Your motivations have everything to do with your choices. What motivates you drives you, and what drives you produces behavior. Does that make sense? It starts by with, with what you're passionate for. What are you passionate for? What motivates you when you wake up? What are the desires of your life? What are the, what's the vision that you have for who you are? How do you identify yourself? What is your perception of the people around you? What motivates you? Because what motivates you will absolutely drive you and what drives you will produce behaviors in your life. So if you're motivated to sin, And if you miss your old life, so be it. You're free to sin. It's your choice. No one's making you. No one's making you do anything. You don't have to be here this morning, and you don't have to obey God tomorrow. You don't have to. You don't. And if you're saved and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will not take that from you. Now, if you're saved, if you know Christ, I do find it kind of curious. I find it kind of curious that you would be so interested in the things of this world, so motivated by sin, that you would be willing to make yourself feel like garbage for the rest of your life to indulge it. Like, that seems curious to me. And I would say if you have the capacity to do that, it's worth all of us considering whether or not you actually know Christ as your Savior and you are saved. If you prayed some sort of prayer when you were a kid because you wanted to get your ticket punched to heaven, and there was no conviction, and you didn't understand the decision that you were making, and there was no reality of who Christ was in your life, and you didn't understand forgiveness for what it was, you might not be saved. You might not be. And it might make it really easy for you to go back to the old old ways that are still your ways right but i find it curious that so many christians are so motivated by sin that in the secret of their own lives are willing to pursue it so here's the deal if you're convinced that your body and your life are yours go ahead do what you want with it if your body and your life they belong to you then go ahead Do whatever you want to do. It's lawful. It's lawful. But if you recognize that your life doesn't belong to you, and yet you're stuck, you're stuck feeling tempted by sin, you're stuck wanting to follow God and yet desiring to sin, well, first of all, welcome to the club. You're not alone. That's every single one of us. Every single one of us is tempted by sin. But if you're saying to yourself, man, I, I realize who Christ is to me, and I want to do what's right, but yet I'm pulled, and, and I'm pulled in the direction of sin, and I'm tempted by sin all the time, and I don't know what to do, and I'm on the edge, and I'm on the verge of falling in, which I know there's people in the room right now who are in that place. You are on the cusp of sin, and I don't mean just messing up, okay? We're not talking, every one of us messes up. What I'm talking about is choosing to pursue sin, motivation to pursue sin. And there's people in here that are are right there on the edge. You are tiptoeing on the line and you want to follow Christ but this is what I'm used to and you're like ready at any moment or maybe you're doing one of these things. (laughs) I just wanted to do that. (laughs) You need to ask yourself this next question, okay? So first you're asking yourself, what are your motivations? Are you motivated by the right things? Okay, we're gonna talk about that more. But here's the other question. Is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? It's a valid question. Like, are the consequences of my decisions and my motivations beneficial? Beneficial to me? Beneficial to the people that I love? Beneficial to the world around me? beneficial to Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says this, all things are lawful unto me, Ah, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. So all things might be lawful to you, but are they expedient? Are they beneficial? Are they advantageous? And the logical answer for any Christian has to be, no, sin is not beneficial for me. Sin is harmful to me. And it puts puts my judgment seat and my my reward in heaven at risk. It is not beneficial. It is not beneficial for the souls that I come in contact with every single day. It is not beneficial for the testimony that I'm supposed to have with those that I love in my life. It is not beneficial to the growth and the movement of God's church in this world. It is not beneficial to the name of Jesus Christ. It is not beneficial. So the issue is not whether or not it's lawful for me. The question is what motivates me and is it beneficial? Does it have value? Is it advantageous? Next key point. The Christian life, listen, the Christian life is richer than our salvation alone. The Christian life has more to offer us than just a place in heaven. The Christian life has more to offer us than our ticket punched to heaven, a secure eternity. God has a mission for us, and it ought to motivate us. It ought to affect the way we think. It ought to uh, affect our perceptions, our perceptions of the world, our perceptions of ourself. So Paul has a conclusion that he wants the Corinthian church to lay hold on, a conclusion that he wants them to draw. And here's the takeaway. Listen here, this is what he says. All things are lawful to me, he says it again, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And that's what he wants them to believe too. Now he's making a statement for himself. I personally As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because he knows the truth that Kenny Morgan pointed out in the last service that a man cannot serve two masters. He either hates the one and loves the other or loves the one and hates the other. You must choose. And for Paul, he recognizes that the only one that he will be subject to is Jesus Christ. I refuse to fall under the power of the world, the flesh and the devil. I refuse to go back to the bondage of my sin. I belong to someone and something greater than myself. Second Corinthians 5:16 says, "Wherefore henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet not henceforth know we him no more." Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, the reason that Paul has to make this statement in 2 Corinthians 5 and make similar statements in 1 Corinthians is because we have the ability to be new creatures in Jesus Christ and yet go put on the old creature We have the ability to do that because all things are lawful for me. So Paul helps us to better understand our obligation to obedience by using an illustration. He's going to point out an illustration here that's going to be helpful for us. That's going to help us to continue to understand these these ideas. So we've talked about benefit. Is it beneficial for me? Does it have value to go back to my sin, to indulge sin, to practice you know, drunkenness, to practice fornication, okay? To do the things that were true of the old me. Is it worthwhile to do that? Now he's gonna talk about being bound in Christ. Look at verse 13. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Okay, now, so this sounds like something that a pirate might say. I was really hoping I could get someone to stand up and read it in a pirate voice. Cage would be the one, wouldn't it? He would be the one. Can you do it? Do it. Yeah, yeah, please. Meats for the belly. <laughs> <laughs> for me, but God shall destroy both pigs, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. You guys will never read that verse the same again. (laughs) So, what's he saying? Okay, what's he saying here? Well, as we will see later on in the letter to the Corinthians, there is a bit of a controversy in Corinth concerning what people ate. Okay, now in the early church, this was a thing, right? This was this was controversial. What what the Gentile Christians would eat was often an offense to the Jewish Christians. Because the Gentiles were used to e- eating off- offerings, right? Meat offerings that had been put before some sort of false God. They'd go to the market and maybe they were a reduced price. I don't know. Like, like it was always marked down the corn over there, the stuff offered to idols. Okay, You go over there and you'd get you know, a cheaper steak or something. But the Gentiles would eat this meat and it would be an offense to the Jews. The Jews would look at that as, a, as blasphemous to the Lord. And so there was some controversy around this in the early church. And so this, this is Paul, you know, Paul always sows these little moments in because he's gonna come back to the subject matter. We're gonna address it later when we talk about liberty and other things like that. But, but here, that's the backdrop. But what is it that he's really saying in his pirate voice? What is it what, that he really means? Okay, now he's sarcastically saying the following. Go ahead, eat up. Indulge yourself in whatever way you see fit. Because God will eventually destroy both the meat and your belly. Okay, that's harsh. That's harsh. Here's the deal. In other words, whatever you do in this life is your choice. What goes into the belly, listen to me, this is important. What goes into the belly is of less consequence than what motivates our appetites. In God's eyes, in God's economy, what goes in your belly, what you do, and what behaviors you have are of less concern to God than what motivates your appetites. Why? Well, because there's a day coming when God will judge the heart of every person. And what that means is that he's going to judge your motives. Key point, the fate of every Christian is a judgment of the heart. The fate of every single Christian is the judgment, not of what you do, because you're going to mess up, and those faults and those sins, they're not going to be held to your account, okay? It's not the failures, it's not when you get tripped up, it's not the temptations that you face, okay? It's what your heart and your mind do with those things when you face those struggles. Jeremiah 17:10 says, "I the Lord, search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing." Now, there's going to be a payout based on where your heart posture is set." Proverbs 17:3 says, "The finding pot is for silver. That's what that's for. Okay, there's a refining pot and it's intended to refine silver, to pull off the dross. It's for refining. And the furnace for gold. But the Lord is the furnace. He trieth the hearts. That's a throwback to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, isn't it? But it builds on that idea. It's not just the behaviors that are produced by our motives. Okay? The wood, hay, stubble versus the gold, silver, precious stones. But it's also the heart motivation behind that because the truth is none of us will produce gold, silver, or precious stones if our heart is not focused on that motive. It's not gonna happen. If that's not your heartbeat, it's not gonna be true of your life. You'll only just produce wood, hay, stubble. That's the truth. He's trying your hearts. But listen, the temptations are high, aren't they? The temptations are high. I mean, I'm talking to a room, full of single people who can download Tinder anytime they want. The temptations are high. You got it harder. You got it harder than I did, okay? It's easier to find yourself in the presence of temptation. It's easy. All it takes is one click. The temptations are high, and you really want to send just a little... You don't need to lie. It's true. It's what you want. But your body doesn't belong to you. Now, the body is not for fornication. Listen, we know that there's a fornication problem in Corinth, right? We know that. We know that, right? Yeah, just nod your heads, yes. This is, you know, give me something. here. Yeah, there's a fornication problem. There's some freaks. There's some freaks in Corinth. So we see Paul, he's going to use fornication as an example of fleshly defiance. He's going, to, he's going to pull this topic out, and he's going to use it as an example for all of our fleshly defiance. The flesh's way, the flesh's way of demanding worship. But we could easily say, the body is not for pornography. Pornography. The body is not for getting high. The body is not for getting drunk. The body is not for working 70 hours a week to make money. The body is not for treating people poorly. It's not for that. The body is not for that. The point is your flesh wants to rob you of your Christ-like motivations and center them on yourself. But Paul says the body ain't for you. It's not for you. But if the body isn't for you, who is it for? Let's continue reading. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. I mean, he's going to claim what belongs to him. That's how much you belong to him, is that one day he's going to claim it. It'll be buried in the grave, be dead as can be, maggots. Maybe dust. Maybe you will be. You will be dust at that point, point. and he will knit that stuff back together, and lay claim on what belongs to him—spirit, soul, body. It's his. It belong like. Look, I'm just the messenger, yo. You, I've been watching Breaking Bad, and he says yo all the time. Yo, I've been trying to study up on sin. I'm not promoting that show, (laughs) okay? Uh, But but look, your, your body is not for you. The moment, I hate to break it to you, the moment that you decided to follow Jesus Christ is the moment you gave up, you relented ownership. You signed over the deed to your body. It doesn't belong to you. You belong to God. And if you're born again in Christ, then you're his, and he has saved you, and it's by his power that he will one day raise you up from the dead at the end of the church, church age. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, knowing that he which raised up the Lord, Jesus, shall raise up also by Jesus and shall present us with, with you. Sorry, <clears throat> allergies, man, rough, get a drink. Listen, listen to this. He is going to raise up you and your sinful belly. <laughs> whatever it is that you consumed, and whatever that is, it follows you. It leaves, it leaves a mark. He's gonna raise you up and the wickedness, whatever it is that you put in your belly, whatever it is that you consume, he's gonna raise it up. And here's the deal they are all that and all of that is part of his body it all belongs to him verse 15 know ye not that your bodies are the members of christ your body is part of the body of christ your physical body is a part of the personage of jesus ephesians 5:29 for no man ever yet hated his own flesh and nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, uh, of his flesh, and of his bones. That's wild. That's wild, isn't it? To think about it that way, right? You're like the femur. That's the only bone I know, so that's why I said that one. Right, but you're you're a part of his body. You belong to him, so much so that you're actually knit into his frame. Crazy, crazy thought. Here's the key point. The body of every Christian carries the brand of their savior. It carries the brand of their savior. And by that mean, uh, what I mean is, is what sort it is. So when I look at you, I don't see you. I see Christ on you. You've been branded. You've been set apart. You've been marked. You've been made the, 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 um, the, the property of the Savior and he's knit you into the fabric of his own being. You've been adopted. You're his child. You belong to him. And when you do what you do there's no way around it. You do it with him there. you do it with him present. Because just like my finger can't go where where my arm doesn't go, wherever you go, Christ goes with you. You are branded. You are his. You belong to him. You are his members. So why not embrace that? Why not live with that perspective every day? Why not choose to stop indulging sin with your body simply because your body is not yours. It's Christ. And when you get drunk and when you look at pornography or when you get high or when you, you know, steal something from work or when you're a jerk to your friends or your roommates, every time you do those things, you're saying that you don't mind treating what belongs to God like crap. You don't mind dragging Jesus through the mud. You don't mind associating his very name with the wickedness that you choose to do. Here's an illustration that Paul uses here. It's pretty harsh to think about it. Try to imagine this for a second. He's kind of painting a picture for us Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot, a prostitute? Like would you take Jesus to a whorehouse? Would could I possibly? Could I possibly be willing to take Jesus into my sin with me? God forbid. In other words, should I take what belongs to God and go find some avenue to defraud God's property? Of course not. God forbid you shouldn't do that. Verse 16, what? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot, someone that has sex with someone that is hired for prostitution, which was common, common in Corinth? For two saith, he shall be one flesh. Paul says, don't forget That the act of sex is the act of joining yourself physically to another person. You're willing to take God through that with you? You're going to choose sin? You're going to join what belongs to God with a harlot? See, he's asking you to think of yourself as being bound to Jesus. You are his physical representation here on earth. And each time you choose to look at pornographic images on your phone or worship for hours at the throne of video games and Netflix, you're taking him with you. It's pretty heavy. He summarizes it this way, verse 17. But he that's joined unto the Lord is one spirit. If you're gonna join yourself to something, if you're going to apply your motivations to something, apply them to knowing Christ. I mean, if, if, if you're already his member and you get to choose whether or not you're joined to him or something else, choose him. Because when you do, you become one spirit with him. In other words, what this means is you take on his conscience. <laughs> That's what one spirit means. You take on his reasoning, you take on his mind, you take on his convictions, and you become his character. You become not just the, 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 the pro, pro, property of Christ, but you get to become his mind and his thoughts and his being. You get to be one spirit with him. So what what should we do about it? What should we do about this? Like, Like if we're tempted to sin, what is the answer? Verse 18, here it is. This is the answer for you. If you're finding yourself in temptation and you're finding yourself in danger of dragging Christ's name through the mud and you know the temptation is right before you and you want to do it, but you know better, okay, what do you do? Here's the answer, flee. Flee fornication. Do something with your body physically to remove yourself from the circumstances that are tempting you. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication, fornication sinneth against his own body. Okay, you know what that's saying there? Is that there's certain repercussions of having sex outside of marriage that are unique consequences to that of other sins. Okay, right? When you sin in terms of fornication, there are physical consequences, y'all. It's not like STDs came about in the last 100 years, Okay? There are physical consequences of living a life of fornication. But here's the point that we need to make. Flee it. Run from it. There's only one answer for temptation that pops up in our lives, and that is to flee. And that reminds me of Genesis chapter 39. You guys know the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife? I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to summarize it. See if we can make a connection here. Are you ready for that? Follow with me. We're almost done. Okay? Follow with me. Genesis chapter 39, verse 7. And it came to pass, after these things, that his master, speaking of Joseph, who is a picture type of Jesus Christ in our Old Testament, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. That is Old Testament talk, for let's get it on, okay? Lie with me, okay? All right? Now, she wants him. Joseph's hot. She wants him. But if he refused, verse 8, But sorry, but he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. Like, he's going to wonder what I'm doing in here. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. I, like, I belong to him. You hear this? I belong to my master. I don't belong to you. And he's going to wonder what I'm doing in here. And I, I'm supposed to be doing his business. There's none greater in this house than I neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Do you guys understand how much God has entrusted to you? He's held nothing back from you. He's given you every opportunity. He's given you every opportunity to lead and grow and to thrive in this world, just like Joseph and his master. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her and it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. Now, there's, a, there's something to remember here about accountability. Guys, if you're going to be alone with a woman, make sure your boys are around. Girls, if you're going to be alone with a man in a, in a private place, make sure your girls are around nearby. It's not blameless. Protect yourself. Be accountable. So Joseph rolls up in the house. He's going to do some business. There's no one else there but him and Potiphar's wife. And she caught him by his garment. She was going to force him. That's pretty bold. I mean, he must have been fine. (laughs) She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. That's how I imagine her saying it. It got real aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. He ran away. Now, there's a lesson about blamelessness here. Okay? He left his coat, right? She took his garment and it put him in a position where he, he couldn't be blameless, right? She had evidence, and so later she goes to pot She's like, look, I got his jacket. He was trying to get freaky. Look, he was here, and he was, you know, she's mad about it, and so she blames him, and she's got his coat to prove that he was in there. No good. Don't leave your jacket. Okay, get out of there. <laughs> get out of there and take all your stuff, Okay? But there's something to be learned about blamelessness because sometimes, sometimes you put yourself in a position where you look, you look like you've done what's wrong. And, and that seems harmless and it seems naive and ignorant and whoops, I didn't mean to, but listen to me. There's something to that, especially for the leader. There's something to that. You've got to remember that you carry the brand of Christ on your life. And so it's not good enough to just flee fornication, but for the leader, you must also recognize you can't look blamable. Put yourself in a position where you can't be blamed. Now that's, that's a whole other sermon. We're not going to go there. But the point is, is that you should flee fornication. You should flee it. OK, a temptation comes into your life, and you're presented with an opportunity to go against God, to go back to the old man. What do you do? Don't ask questions. Don't think twice. Don't weigh your options. Don't do a pro and cons list. Get the heck out of there. Your spirit is going to set off alarm bells bells in your heart and in your mind, and he's going to say, go, listen to him. Listen to him. Flee fornication. Flee any instance that might put you in danger of dragging Christ's very body, his members, through the mud. Verse 19, you're not just bound to Christ, you're bought by Christ. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Key point. There was a costly price to save you from your sin. It was costly. It cost Christ something. Look, when... When no one loved you, when you felt alone, when you didn't even love yourself, he gave up everything to adopt you and to make himself your father. Ephesians 1.13, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Okay, so what is, between these two verses, what is it saying? Jesus Christ died for you to purchase you his possession, meaning you belong to him. Now, when he did that, he put his spirit in you. Now, this is unique, okay? This is is unique for the church age. This is one of those mysteries that we talked about is that God's spirit now indwells you and it marks you and it seals you for his redemption. The day when he comes back and he claims you as his own, the Holy Spirit inside of you is the evidence that you belong to him. Does that make sense? You belong to him and his spirit dwells inside you. And your body is his body. And he gave his life for you to purchase you. And you're going to say, and you're going to say, oh, well, it's, it's lawful for me. It's, it's lawful f- for me to do it. I mean, I'm s- set free from sin, and, and I can The implications are clear. You aren't just bound to God, but he's living inside of you. And you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And now your body is the house of the living God. This is a, this is a critical doctrine to understand, but, but it's important here in terms of our motivation. Verse 20 says this, for ye are bought with a the price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Titus 2:14 says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Yeah. So what motivates me to follow Christ over my sin? What motivates me to do that? First, I've been bought by his blood. That's a big deal. Let I me mean, think about that for a minute. I've been bought by his blood. His blood was shed for me. That means something. That means something. But I'm also bound to his body. We're one. And everything I do, he does it with me. And everything he does, he invites me to participate. I am bound to his body. And third, I desire to live a beneficial life. In other words, meaningful for the mission. I want to have benefit. So when you're trying to ask yourself, what motivates me? Okay, Christ's blood motivates me. The fact that I belong to him and I'm bound to him motivates me. And the fact that I want my life to have benefit in the mission and the purpose that he's called me to, that motivates me. And I could never go back and have it any other way. I refuse to go back to the bondage of my sin. And while it might be lawful for me, it is of no benefit. And it is not, it's, it is, it is not, it is not going to do anything other than imprison me once again and mess up my sanctification and drag Christ's name through the mud, and affect the people that I want to minister to and that I love. It will ruin my work in this world, and I will stand before Christ, and I will answer for my lack of motivation. And he will say, but I bought you, and I bound myself to you, and I've given you every purpose in life. You just put me off time and time again. God forbid. God forbid. Seth, I want to invite you up to lead us in worship. And as we do that, the invitation is this. If you have a temptation, if you have a temptation, believer, that just keeps presenting itself to you over and over again, and you're having a hard time fleeing from whatever that temptation is, come get prayer. Come seek the assistance of another spiritual individual who also belongs to Christ. Pray together and ask the Lord that he would help you learn how to flee from fornication or whatever it is, fill in the blank. Deal with that. Pray for the power of Christ. Pray for for proper motivations. Okay, now here's the other deal. There's some people in this room, you've not been bought and you're not yet bound to Christ. You've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe even you thought you did. You thought you got that ticket punched a long time ago. Listen to me. Have you repented of your sin before before a holy and righteous God that sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to redeem you specifically? You, your name, your personage, your DNA, he thought of you. He crafted you, he made you, and he bought you at the price. Have you given him your life? And if you've not yet done that, There is no greater thing that you can do today than to step forward and to grab a hold of one of the counselors that's gonna be standing right up here along the front, to grab a hold of them and to go sit down and to figure that out. Your eternity is riding on it. But listen to me, your purpose is riding on it. Your happiness, your joy, your peace, it's all riding on that. Don't be afraid. Come forward and get help. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray that your word would provoke us to do what's right, to flee fornication, to flee from sin, to flee from drunkenness and, and, and wicked behavior and things that are constantly just bombarding us, Lord. Help us to flee at every moment and, and to take our coat with us. But Lord, we ask for your help. There's, there's people in the room right now, I know, that are s- struggling with sin, and they're struggling whether or not they even know you and I pray Lord if there are people today here that are not saved from their sin that they would see Jesus Christ for who he is the lover of their soul the redeemer of, of, of their soul and that they would step out and say I need that I need that I don't need a religion <laughs> I don't need some sort of activity to do I need, I need salvation I need, so, I need someone to forgive me of my sin Lord call that person out today Forgive them, heal them, become one. We're trusting you for this work. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.liv.com.